أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد Previously we examined the marriage of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi to his beloved wife Khadija, peace be upon her. Khadija was a very honorable woman. She was the wealthiest woman in Mecca and in the Arabian Peninsula. She was known by her society to be a woman of nobility and a woman of honor and purity. Hence, one of her titles during the time of Jahiliyyah was At-Tahira. At-Tahira means the pure one. She was known by her society to be the pure one. Another title that she had was Sayyidat Quraysh, the lady of Quraysh. That's how respectful she was. We the followers of Ahlul Bayt, we believe that Khadija was a believer in God. She never bowed to any of the idols. She never worshipped any of the idols. There are some historians who have tried to claim that sometimes she would go to the idols and complain to them. For example, when some of her children died, one historian erroneously claims that after her children died, she went to the idols and she complained that, you know, my children died, why did this happen? This is nonsense, we don't accept that. The Prophet who was so sensitive about idol worshipping and he had such a firm stance against idol worshipping such that when the names of the idols would be mentioned he would show his discontent, his displeasure with the idols. He's not going to marry a woman who worships the idols, speaks to the idols and complains to them. So we have a number of proofs and pieces of evidence that confirmed that Khadija was a woman of faith. She never worshipped any of the idols from day one. She believed in the one God and she was on Ad-Din Al-Hanifiyyah, the path of Prophet Ibrahim So Lady Khadija, peace be upon her, was a woman of high status. The messenger of God marries Khadija. Now there's one very important discussion in Islamic history and we see scholars fiercely debating this issue, contesting this issue. When the Messenger of God married Khadija was she a virgin or was she previously married? If you look at the Sunni schools of thought, Sunni historians and scholars, the majority of them believe that Khadija was not a virgin. She was married before the Messenger of God married her. In fact, she was married to two men before. She was married to a first man, he divorced her. She married a second person, he divorced her. And then the Messenger of God married her. Now these schools of thought, they believe the only wife of the Prophet who was not married when the Prophet married her was Aisha. And they negate this virtue from Khadija They don't recognize that she was a virgin when the Prophet married her. So who are those two men who supposedly married Khadija before the Messenger of God married her? They have mentioned two names. The first one is a man by the name of Atiq ibn Aid. Atiq ibn Aid. Supposedly, she was married to him before she married the Prophet. And his last name was Al Makhzumi because he came from the tribe of Bani Makhzum. Who's the second one? Abu Hala, a man by the name of Abu Hala. He came from the tribe of Tamim, Bani Tamim. So his last name was At Tamimi. Abu Hala. At-Tamimi. These scholars claim that Khadija was married to these two men before the Messenger of God married her. 
Do we accept that or not? Upon our historical analysis of Khadija's marriage to these two men, is this something historic, history confirms or is this something that we reject based on historical analysis and evidence? We don't accept these claims for a number of reasons. First of all, let's talk about Abu Hala. Abu Hala Tamimi, who supposedly married Khadija before the Messenger of God. When you look at those hadiths, narrations, that talk about Abu Hala, we see they're full of contradictions and discrepancies. For instance, in one hadith, Abu Hala's name is given to be Nabash ibn Zurara. Because Abu Hala is a nickname, so what was his real name? Nabash ibn Zurara. Another hadith says, no, his name was Zurara ibn Nabash. So it switches it around. A third hadith says, no, his name was actually Hind. Because the word Hind, the name Hind, by the Arabs, was a name that was given to both men and women. Yes, the name Hind. A fourth hadith says his name was Malik. A fifth hadith gives us another name. So which is it? Which is it? Is it Nabash ibn Zurara? Is it Zurara ibn Nabash? Is it Hind? Is it Malik? Which is it? What was his name? Abu Hala, what was his name? So when you have all this discrepancy, this in itself raises doubt. Whether this is all accurate or valid. So that's one clue that tells us we should doubt these claims. There's a discrepancy in these claims. That's number one. Number two, we have historical reports that tell us Khadija was virgin when the Holy Prophet married her. So these reports contradict those reports that say she was married to two men. For example, you have Al-Baladhri. Al-Baladhri is a Sunni scholar. Al-Baladhri was a scholar who was an expert in family trees, in lineages, in ancestry. He says, according to my research, Khadija was not married before the Messenger of God married her. So we have a testimony over here from Al-Baladhri, a Sunni scholar, who says that Khadija was not married. When the Prophet married her, she was a virgin. So that's clue number two. Number three, those who claim that Khadija was married before the Prophet, one of the arguments they use is that Khadija had children from those previous husbands. She had, for example, Ruqayya, she had Zainab. These were the daughters of Khadija from these previous men. So that's an indication that she was actually married. How do we respond to that? Upon close examination of whether these were Khadija's children or not, we come to the conclusion that they were not the children of Khadija. Historical analysis demonstrates that they were actually her nieces. She had a sister by the name of Hala. Ruqayya and Zainab were the daughters of Hala. They were not the daughters of Khadija And by the way, we've heard that the Prophet had other daughters than Fatima al-Zahra, right? He had Ruqayya for example. And Uthman married Ruqayya. One reason why they call him the Nurain, the man of two lights, is because he married two daughters from the Prophet. Two of the Prophet's daughters were married by Uthman. Now when we also examine that, we come to the conclusion that this is not accurate because these two were not the Prophet's daughters either. Some have claimed these are the Prophet's daughters. He had them when he married Khadija. Some say these daughters, they belonged to those two men. So we have all this discrepancy about Ruqayya, who is she? Zainab or even Umm Kulthum. Who are they? Were they the Prophet's daughters? Were they Khadija's daughters? somebody else's daughters, there's a lot of historical confusion over here. So the correct analysis 
is that Ruqayya was not the Prophet's biological daughter. Uthman did marry her, but she was not the Prophet's biological daughter. Who was she? She was the adopted daughter of the Prophet. How did he come to adopt her? Historical accounts tell us that Khadija had a sister by the name of Hala. Hala was married to two men, the first husband, then he divorced her, then she married a second husband. Now, one of her ex-husbands, he had two daughters, two children, from another wife. He dies, that mother, that wife also dies, so these two children are orphaned. Who takes care of them? Hala takes care of them. Because after all, they are her stepdaughters, because they belong to her husband, but from another wife. So their mother was not Hala. Her husband had another wife. He had two children from that wife. So her ex-husband dies. His wife also dies. These two children are left without a guardian. So what does Hala do? Hala, she becomes their guardian, she takes care of them. But then Khadija was wealthy and compassionate, so she told her sister Hala, let me help you out. So after Hala takes care of them, Khadija becomes their guardian and she takes care of them. She starts spending on them. So they grow up, they grow up in the house of who? Khadija when Khadija marries the Prophet she takes these two children into her new house with the Prophet because she was their caretaker and so they grew up in the Prophet's house. Now in pre-Islamic Arabia at the time of ignorance, whenever any children would grow up in your house, whether they were stepchildren, adopted children, the Arabs would consider them to be your own children. Hence, historically, they have referred to these two daughters as being the daughters of the Prophet. They were not his biological daughters, but why were they considered his daughters in some of these historical accounts? Because they grew up in his house after he married Khadija. After the Prophet married Khadija, he didn't tell Khadija, hey, now I'm married to you, get rid of these two kids. No, the Prophet is compassionate. He told her, not only should you continue caring for them, but I'll also help you. Let them grow up in my house. So Ruqayya, she grew up in the Prophet's house. But she was not his biological daughter. So Uthman, we don't believe that he married the biological daughters of the Prophet. He married two adopted daughters who grew up in the house of the Prophet. So even with Um Kulthum, she was not the Prophet's daughter. She was either the niece of Khadija, Hala's daughter, or someone else's daughter whom Hala took care of. Because we believe that Khadija did, by the way, have a number of children. She had a few you know, sons, she had some daughters, but they all died at a young age. The only surviving child of Khadija was Fatima al-Zahra All the other died at a young age. So Uthman did not marry them. He did not marry the biological daughters of the Prophet. The biological sons and daughters of the Prophet, they all died when they were young. Ibrahim, Al-Qasim, they died when they were young. Some of these other daughters of the Prophet, his biological daughters that he had from Khadija, they also died at a young age. The only surviving daughter who grew up to be of age and, and, and reached maturity was Fatima al-Zahra So we do believe that the Prophet had other biological daughters, according to historical accounts, but they did not survive. They died, they died early in their childhood. And as for Uthman, he did not marry the biological daughters of the Prophet, he married who? these adopted daughters of the Prophet. And one evidence, one proof for that, is that when we look at the historical accounts, we see that historical accounts tell us Uthman 
married one of the daughters of the Prophet, because he married supposedly to one of them, she was not a virgin when Uthman married her. She was married to the son of Abu Lahab before Uthman. When Uthman married her, she was previously married to the son of Abu Lahab. Now when the Quran cursed Abu Lahab, she parted away from the son of Abu Lahab because Abu Lahab told his son, I no longer allow you to stay with this you know, adopted daughter of the Prophet. She has a connection to Muhammad, the Quran has cursed me, tabbat yada Abi Lahab bin Watab, so I want you to part with her. So we see that when Uthman married that daughter of the Prophet, she was actually older, she was not a child. She was previously married, we don't know her exact age, but she was an adult. Whereas all the historical indications point us to the fact that the daughters of the Prophet, they were all born after the Ba'tha, after the Messenger of God received the revelation from Allah. That makes these children very young. It could not have been possible for the son of Abu Lahab to marry that daughter and then he divorces her and then Uthman comes along and he marries her. That's impossible. Because the Prophet received revelation 13 years before he went to Mecca at age 40. So his children were all small. And Uthman, he married her supposedly after the revelation and she was married in Mecca to the son of Abu Lahab. So she could not have been that young. This tells us that whoever the son of Abu Lahab was married to, that was not the biological daughter of the Prophet. That was the adopted daughter of the Prophet or someone who just grew up in his house. In any case, we believe that these daughters whom Uthman married, they were not the biological daughters of the Prophet. There's a lot of discussion, who were they? Were they the nieces of Khadija Or as we mentioned, they belonged to someone else, but Hala, the sister of Khadija, took care of them. In any case, they were not the biological daughters of the Prophet. So that's our response to that. Khadija did not have any children before the Prophet. Those children were either her nieces, the daughters of Hala, or Hala took care of them because they were the daughters of her ex-husband. When her ex-husband died and their mother died, Hala took care of them. So this does not indicate that, in any way does not indicate that Khadija was previously married. She did not have any children before the Prophet. The first children that she had was after she married the Prophet. So the, the figures are slightly different, but she had a number of children from the Prophet, maybe five or six. Another point over here is that historical accounts tell us that the elite of Quraysh, the powerful tribe in Mecca, the elites of the Meccans, they proposed to Khadija but she refused to marry them. Like who? What are some names? Uqba ibn Abi Mu'id. Uqba was a very powerful man in Mecca. He was a pagan but he came from an elite status. You have for example Abu Jahl, Abu Sufyan. Abu Sufyan, he was one of the elites of Mecca. Abu Sufyan was powerful. Abu Sufyan, Abu Jahl, they came forward and proposed to Khadija. She refused to marry them. Now if Khadija refused these elites of Mecca, you think she's going to marry two average men who came from an average tribe? Especially the guy, the Tamimi. He was a Bedouin, an uneducated, powerless Bedouin. Why would she marry him? On what basis? What was special about him? If she wanted to marry anyone before the Prophet, she had many, many better choices. 
people who had power, people who were respected in Meccan society, people who were elites. Why would she, you know, marry a villager, a Bedouin, whom we know nothing about? In addition to that, we have narrations that tell us when she married the Messenger of God, the woman of Quraysh, they rebuked her, they mocked her and made fun of her. They told her, oh Khadija, you married a man who has no money, who grew up an orphan and he has no money. Why did you marry Muhammad? Because remember these women, they looked at the marriage from a materialistic aspect. Any woman wants to marry a rich man. So they told her, why did you marry Muhammad when he's so poor? He's not a rich man, why did you marry him? They rebuked her. And history has documented this. Now if she supposedly married that Tamimi and that Makhzumi, how come the women of Quraysh did not rebuke her and tell her, Khadija, why did you marry these below average men who are not well known? They come from very average tribes when you had very important figures in Mecca to marry. So if she were married to them really, we would have seen some historical evidence that the woman of Mecca would have mocked her and rebuked her. But that does not exist, which is an indication she was not previously married. If she were married to these two men, the woman of Mecca would have objected to her. They would have rebuked her. Because the Tamimi and the Makhzumi, they were not important individuals. So that's another indication that she was not married before the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Ibn Abi Mu'id, Abu Jahl and Abu Sufyan, a number of, of them did propose to her, the history has documented these, na these names. Now some say that how is it possible for Khadija to live for 40 years as a single woman when she was so wealthy and so beautiful? It's not possible. Why would she stay unmarried for such a long time? First of all, yes, we'll get to that. First of all, we examined before she was not 40 when she married the Prophet. What was her correct age? 25 or 28? Somewhere between 25 and 28. So it's not like she waited 40 years to be married. No, she was 25, 28 and that's pretty normal. Many women marry at the age of 25. Is that something highly unusual? No, that's not highly unusual. Something very normal. Yes, 40 is unusual. If a woman waits until she's 40, that is kind of unusual in most societies. But age 25, that's not unusual. There's nothing unusual, abnormal about that. So that's number one. Number two, Khadija السلام, was financially independent. She had a lot of money that she inherited from her father. Now in Arabian society, the average woman did not really own anything. She was fully dependent on her husband, on her father, on her brothers. So one reason why she would get married at an early age is to have a husband spend on her because she was not independent. Khadija did not need anyone to spend on her because she had her own wealth, she had her own money. So there's nothing that compelled her to get married. Financially, she had no incentive to get married because she was already well off. Many women in those societies, they would be compelled to get married because of their financial dependence on men. But if you're financially independent and you wait for 25 years, what's the harm? There's nothing that would compel her to get married. So that's number two. Number three, Khadija was not an average woman. She was waiting for the right man. Abu Sufyan came forward. She did not like him because he did not have the proper akhlaq, the proper religion. Abu Jahl came forward. Uqba came forward. Many of many men came forward, but she refused because she was looking for a man of principle. And last time we examined how she fell in love with the akhlaq, the moral character of the Prophet, when he did business with her. When Maysara, her servant, came and told her the honesty that he saw in the Prophet. When he saw the signs of prophethood in him, 
These are all points that made her interested in the Prophet. So when she found the appropriate man, then she proposed and she accept, accepted to marry the Prophet. Otherwise there were many elites in Mecca, she was not interested in them. And remember she was a woman who worshipped God, so obviously she would not be interested in marrying a man who would worship the idols. So we don't find anything unusual about that for her to wait 25 or 27 years or 28 years. Therefore upon examining some of these clues we come to the conclusion that she was not married before the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She was a virgin when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa married her and the reason why we have these fabricated ahadith and narrations was to serve a political purpose. Number one, to show Aisha was special. She was the only virgin wife of the Prophet and no one else had that virtue or quality. So they negated the fact that Khadija السلام, was a virgin when the Prophet married her. That was one goal. The second goal was that Bani Umayyah, when they rose to power, the Umayyads, they forged these narrations to give Uthman the honor of being the son-in-law of the Prophet. Because they were jealous, why is Imam Ali السلام, the only son-in-law of the Prophet? So they said, you know what, Uthman is also the son-in-law of the Prophet, because Uthman was from Bani Umayyah. He came from the tribe of Bani Umayyah. So the Umayyads, they wanted to elevate his status, to say that we have the honor of being the son-in-laws of the Prophet. Well now the problem is, okay, but the Prophet's daughters, they were young, how could Uthman be his son-in-law? So they had to come up with this fabrication that no, you know, you had these daughters of the Prophet, uh, you know, uh, early on the Prophet when he married Khadija, he had these daughters, and Khadija was old and they made a number of fabrications just to establish that Uthman was the son-in-law of the Prophet. When in fact, as we established, they were not the biological daughters of the Prophet. So, these are some points about Khadija not being married before the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Any questions on that? Uh, Sayyid, don't they find it weird though that you bring two sisters? Isn't that a clue that we could take or was that normal back in the day that you married? Well he did not marry them at the same time. The first wife of Uthman was Ruqayya. When she died he supposedly married the other one. And, he, and we all know how she died, right? He beat her to death. Yes, according to historical records, Uthman beat her. This is not just Shia books, no, we have other books that confirm this. He would beat Ruqayya. He beat her until the point where she could not take it. She fell ill and she died as a result of his beatings. And in fact, the Prophet, according to Sunni sources, he banned Uthman from attending her funeral and from going on her grave when she was buried. Because he was a murderer who beat her and as a result she died. The Prophet was very, very upset because even though she was not his biological daughter, but she grew up in his house. The Prophet cares about her. Even if she was not even his adopted daughter, she was a Muslim, she was a human being. Why would they give her the other daughter then? Why would he give her the other daughter then? That's a good question. Why would the Messenger of God do that? If, that? if you have two daughters, right? And your son-in-law kills the first one, are you going to give him the second one? Probably not. That's another indication to show that it's fabricated. Now, their argument is this. Some who say, even those from the Shia who do accept that, because there are some who accept these accounts, they say Uthman came from the powerful tribe of Bani Umayyah. Bani Umayyah were cousins of Bani Hashim. So Bani Hashim was a respected tribe in Mecca. Bani Umayyah was also a powerful tribe. Now the Prophet, he wanted the Bani Umayyah, you know, to be on his good side, not to fight him, not to fight the Muslims, right? To avoid battles, to avoid any rivalry, rivalry with them. So what did the Prophet do? They say he allowed Uthman, who comes from the Bani Umayyah tribe, to marry these adopted daughters, 
to establish ties with the Bani Umayyah. It was like a political strategy to avoid confrontation. Supposedly that's the philosophy. But you know, we say it's impossible for them to have been his biological daughters because if they're your biological daughters and you have full guardianship over them and Uthman beats the first one, you're not going to give him a second one, right? That's not something the Messenger of God would do. So yeah, that's how Ruqayya died. And the Prophet banned him from attending the funeral. But did she complain to the Prophet before like that he was beating her or no? Well, the hadiths here are not that clear. But we do have hadith that say she did complain. And those hadith that say she did complain to the Prophet, the Prophet told her to be patient. He did not like intervene. Now why is that the case? If we accept those hadiths, because our scholars have discussion and debates on those hadiths. Assuming these hadiths are correct, the Prophet wanted to show the Muslim Ummah who Uthman was. See the Prophet could have protected his own family members, right? Imam Ali, Fatima al-Zahra, Imam Hassan and Hussein. He could have protected them in his lifetime. Because those companions who would later attack them, the Prophet could have banished them, excommunicated them, ordered them to be killed. He had, a, no, he had many, many ways to get rid of them. The Prophet could have easily expelled them from Medina, knowing what would happen to his own family. But why would he allow that to happen? Because Allah wants to show how Ahlul Bayt are oppressed and how evil their enemies are. So if we accept that hadith, that Ruqayya came to the Prophet, she complained to him that Uthman is beating me, because we do have hadiths that say that. The Prophet told her, be patient. Why did he tell her to be patient? To expose Uthman. So that no one has an excuse. Someone who killed his wife, you're going to recognize him as your Khalifa? Who represents the Messenger of God, who sits in the pulpit of the Prophet? How, how can you accept that? When this man had blood on his hands, he killed his own, his own wife. I'm going to recognize him as my divine leader. So maybe one wisdom behind the Prophet not intervening and allowing that to happen is to show that Ruqayya was oppressed and to expose Uthman. And the Prophet did publicly threaten him because when the Prophet was walking in Ruqayya's funeral, Uthman came. The Prophet became furious, he became angry, his face became red. Now that same night, that same, the previous night, you know, the first night that his wife had died, Uthman had slept with a slave girl. So he came to the funeral directly after being, spending time with that slave girl. The Prophet says, the one who spent his night, last night with a slave girl, if he doesn't leave the funeral right now, I'm going to expose him in front of everyone. The companions, they looked around, they saw Uthman slowly leaving the funeral. Because the Prophet, you know, threatened him big time. And then he wanted to go on her grave to act as if he's supposedly sad. The Prophet banned him from doing so. He says, you're not, you're, you're not going anywhere near her grave. So yeah, that was the first wife of Uthman. Yes, brother. Well, no, that's the historical account over here. That after Ruqayya, he married a second daughter of the Prophet. That's what they say. So after Ruqayya died, and the Prophet supposedly banned him from the, you know, uh, the funeral. The Prophet banned him from the funeral. Supposedly he gave him another daughter. You know, do you accept that? So you be the judge, you know, if the Messenger of God, if these two were his biological daughters, how, he, how would he allow that to happen? And would he give his second daughter? So our history says they were not the biological daughters. <coughs> so it's disputed whether he married the second one or not. But assuming he did, one reason was to establish political ties with the Bani Umayyah. And remember there's also a test. I don't know what he did with the second one. Um, I'm not sure if history mentions how he treated the second one, but history does mention the first one Is and how he treated her. 
Yes, Umm Kulthum. Umm Kulthum, yeah, it's the second one that he married. In any case, we have observations and serious doubts on this history that, ha that is given to us. So they were not the biological daughters of the Prophet. And assuming that he did actually marry the two adopted daughters of the Prophet, it was to show the Muslim Ummah what kind of a man he was. You know, they consider that a virtue for him, the Nurain. The title of Uthman is the man of two lights. How can you be the man of two lights when you killed one of the daughters of the Prophet? How is that possible? Is that a virtue or a vice? When you've been honored to have the adopted daughter of the Prophet under your guardianship and you abuse her like that, what does that show? What does that demonstrate? Is that a virtue? You marry someone, someone's daughter, someone who's very important, you marry his daughter, then you kill her. That's a virtue? I don't know, you do the math, you be the judge. So that's the case with Khadija and with these daughters. Khadija was not married before the Messenger of God according to the correct analysis. But there was a political reason why they fabricated those narrations, you know, to show that some other wives were the special ones and not Khadija. Khadija was, you know, this old woman who died. We actually have a hadith and this hadith states that once Khadija was mentioned, Fatima al-Zahra was also there, Aisha would always injure Fatima al-Zahra by speaking negatively about Khadija. Once the Prophet mentioned Khadija, Aisha cut him off. This is not just our sources, but all Muslim sources. She cut him off and she said, why do you keep remembering an old hag who died? That's what she said. An old woman who died. Why do you keep remembering her? The Prophet became furious, his face became red. He told her, Aisha, this is the last time you mention Khadija negatively. The last time. She was the best wife. When everyone denied me and fought me, she gave me and she stood by my side. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala denied all of you wives the privilege of having children from me except Khadija So be quiet and stop mentioning Khadija negatively. But there were these historical efforts to reduce from the status of Khadija So the Prophet marries Khadija. What is the next significant event that happened in the Prophet's life? The next significant event that happens in the Prophet's life is the birth of Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib The Imam is born. Now some of our scholars, they believe that Imam Ali was born before the Prophet married Khadija. It's disputed. We have some historical accounts that tell us, that indicate Imam Ali was born shortly before the Prophet married Khadija. He was born, then the Prophet married Khadija. Some other hadiths indicate he was born after the Prophet married Khadija. In any case, it does not really make a difference. Now why is it that some scholars believe he was born before? Because one hadith says that when Imam Ali was just born, the Prophet was still in the house of Abu Talib. Because the hadith says when Imam Ali was born, the Prophet was still staying in the house of Abu Talib. His bed was still in the house of Abu Talib. And he had asked the mother of Imam Ali, I want Ali ibn Abi Talib to sleep next to me, next to my bed. So Imam Ali would not sleep by his mother Fatima bint Asad. He would sleep by who? The Prophet. So this hadith indicates that maybe Imam Ali was born before the Prophet married Khadija because when the Prophet married Khadija, I mean naturally he had another house, now he was living with Khadija. So that's why some believe Imam Ali was born before. In any case, it doesn't really make a difference. That makes Imam Ali's age more than... It does not make Imam Ali's age uh, more because we know when Imam Ali was born. It makes the Prophet older when he married Khadija. 
Because we also have a discrepancy here. Many indications tell us that the Prophet was 25 when he married Khadija. Some hadith say he was 30, some say he was 33. So if we say Imam Ali was born before the Prophet married Khadija, it would actually make the, make the Prophet a little bit older than the age of 25. He may have been around 30, 30, 32. Imam Ali's age at the time of Nubuwa was... Imam Ali was 10 at the time of Nubuwa. He was 10. There is no dispute, yes. He was 10 years old. And he was married at 25, so that makes 15 years of marriage before... Right. So if we say he was married at age 25, that means to five years before Imam Ali was born, he married Khadija, according to this historical account, yes. But if we say that, you know, the Prophet was maybe 30, 32, that means just as Imam Ali was born, shortly after the Prophet married Khadija. So now let's go with the common version that says the Prophet married first and then Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib was born later. So the Imam salam, he was born in the Kaaba on the 13th day of Rajab, it was a Friday, 30 years after the year of the elephant. So the Prophet was 30 years old when Imam Ali was born. Because the Prophet was born in which year? The year of the elephant, right? The Prophet was born the year of the elephant. So if Imam Ali was born 30 years after the year of the elephant, that makes the Prophet 30 years old when Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib was born. Now the event of Imam Ali's birth in the Kaaba is mutawatir. We have successive authentic, correct hadiths from many, many historical sources that state Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib was born in the Kaaba. There are some people in history who cannot stand any virtue for Ahlul Bayt who have tried to play around with that. They have, for instance, claimed that it was not Imam Ali who was born in the Kaaba, it was actually a man by the name of Hakim or Hukaim ibn Huzam. Hakim was the man who was born in the Kaaba. We'll see who he is. Not Imam Ali. Even though Al Hakim and Naysaburi, Al Hakim and Naysaburi is a very prominent Sunni scholar, he says there is no doubt that Ali was the only one born in the Kaaba. Even with such witnesses, with such testimonies, some ignorance throughout history have tried to say no, it was Hakim who was born in the Kaaba. Now some Sunni scholars, they try to reconcile between the two because they know for a fact Imam Ali was born in the Kaaba. That's not something you could deny. You'd be a fool to deny that. So what did they say? They're like, okay, two people were born in the Kaaba, Imam Ali and Hakim ibn Hizam. That's false. Because historical accounts tell us the only person who was born in the Kaaba was Imam Ali. And no other person had that privilege of being born in the Kaaba. Except for Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib So who came up with these ahadith? The Zubairis. Why? Hakim ibn Huzam, he was the cousin of Zubair. The Zubairis were a group of people who considered Zubair, who was one of the companions of the Prophet, they considered Zubair to be their leader. So two of them forged and fabricated these hadiths. For example, you have as Zubair ibn Bakkar wa Mus'ab ibn Abdullah, the grandson of Zubair. His grandson, he is the one who claimed that Hakim is the one who was buried in the Kaaba. Why? Because they wanted that honor to the family of Zubair. So they fabricated these narrations. Yes, so we have Mus'ab ibn Abdullah ibn Zubair. So he's the grandson of Zubair. He along with another Zubairi man, they claimed that Hakim was born in the Kaaba. That's false, that's not true. As we said, Al-Hakim and Naysaburi, he says there's Tawatur, a Mutawatur hadith, is a hadith that has been narrated so widely 
such that there is no doubt that it's authentic. It's a certain hadith that only and only Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib was born in the Kaaba. But you know, we, you had some haters of Imam Ali who wanted to take that virtue away from him. So, so when this happened, there were many witnesses. Was it like there was a time of Hajj where this happened? There were a lot of it was not. Um, it was in the early season of the Hajj because it was in Rajab. Mm -hmm. People had started to come. But yes, many people did witness that. We had many, many eyewitnesses who saw the mother of Imam Ali going inside the Kaaba. Yes, Rajab was one of the months, the sacred months, in which there would be no war. So many people would come to Mecca in order to do business, visit people in Mecca, or just circulate around the Kaaba. Yes. Is that the reason that this is the water? Yes, because you had so many people, even if that wasn't the reason. Many people in Mecca witnessed that. The inhabitants of Mecca, they witnessed this incident. No, this is, this, is, this is about 10 years before Islam. Okay, so why, why would they go to the Hajj? Because the Arabs did, the Hajj started with Ibrahim oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So the, the Arabs would do the Hajj, they had corrupted the Hajj of course, they would do it in their own cultural ways, but the Hajj did exist even before Islam. Because the Hajj was instituted by Prophet Ibrahim Okay, we'll examine exactly what happened. So how did this all happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted a divine sign to tell humanity, look, I choose my representatives. And he gave Imam Ali, before he was born, Allah sent a divine sign that Ali ibn Abi Talib is not an average man. He's chosen by me. I have chosen him to be miraculously buried in the Kaaba, uh, to be miraculously born in the Kaaba. So that everyone knows from day one, Ali ibn Abi Talib was chosen by God. That helps you accept his leadership. Because when you know that his birth was miraculous and it was chosen by God, then naturally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a plan for a person who was born that way. So this was a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, some people say that Imam Ali had the honor of being born in the Kaaba. Our scholars don't accept such phrasing. The Kaaba was honored to host Imam Ali Because Imam Ali is higher in status than the Kaaba. And if you find that strange and kind of like an exaggeration, right? We have authentic hadiths that say one believer, the mu'min, is more sacred in the eyes of God than in his own Kaaba. Yes. That's why the hadith says if you fight a Muslim, a mu'min, not only a Muslim, but one who's a believer, if you fight a mu'min, it's worse than fighting the Kaaba and the house of God. Because the value of a mu'min in the eyes of God is higher than the Kaaba. Because at the end of the day, what is the Kaaba? It's just a building. It's a physical building. You know, if you have a house and you have people who live in the house, who's more important? The house itself or the people? The people. So it was the Kaaba that was honored to host Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib Yes, it was a miraculous sign, but just don't, just don't forget that it's not that Imam Ali had the privilege and the honor to be born in the Kaaba. It was the Kaaba that had the privilege and honor by God to choose Imam Ali to be born inside the Kaaba. Now Fatima bint Asad, she was a distant cousin of the Prophet. She came from the tribe of Bani Hashim. She was a granddaughter of Hashim, the great grandfather of the Prophet. She was a very respectful woman. Abu Talib was the father of Imam Ali So his mother was Fatima bint Asad. His father was Abu Talib. Both of them were Hashemites. So Imam Ali if you look at his ancestry, both, both of his parents were relatives of the Prophet and they came from the descendants of Hashem. 
She was a woman of nobility, a woman of purity. So how did this miraculous pregnancy happen? One hadith tells us that Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib even before his birth, he would show his mother some amazing divine signs. How? One hadith tells us one day Abu Talib, he saw Imam Ali when he was a boy breaking some idols secretly. So Abu Talib tells his wife, he tells her Fatima, I saw Ali breaking the idols. She tells him, I don't find that strange. He's like, why? She's like, when he was in my womb, whenever I would pass by an idol, he would kick me away from the idol. That's Ali ibn Abi Talib. That's how sensitive he was to the idols. Whenever I would get close to the idols, he would start kicking inside my womb to push me away from the idol. I knew that Ali was special and he's very anti-idols. And I never worshipped any idols. I worshipped Allah and I felt as if the fetus was telling me, worship only Allah, don't even get near the idols. So this is Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib So how did that happen? Fatima bint Asad, she was pregnant. She was in Masjid al-Haram, doing the tawaf, circulating around the Kaaba. When suddenly she starts going through labor. She experiences the pain of labor. She's in tawaf, she doesn't know where to go. You know, in that moment when suddenly you go through labor, you just want a refuge, a place to hide from the men, from the people. But she did not know where to go. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired her to go towards the Kaaba. She was in Masjid al-Haram, she goes towards the Kaaba, not knowing what's going to happen. When she reaches one of the corners of the Kaaba, one of the sides of the Kaaba, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala splits the wall open, she enters the Kaaba. She takes that as a sign from God that you should come here. Because a woman when she's going through labor and she's going to bleed, she would naturally leave the mosque, right? Not to contaminate the mosque. But Allah upon splitting the Kaaba, she took that as a sign that God, the owner of this house, does not want me out. He actually wants me to go inside the Kaaba. So she goes inside the Kaaba and Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib salam is born. Yes, brother. Yes, she did recite a dua. There's discussion as to exactly what she said, but we maybe we can discuss that in the group, inshallah. She does recite a dua. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala splits the wall open. She goes inside the Kaaba. Now some hadiths tell us that who is the one who received her inside the Kaaba? Because you know, when you, as a woman, when you go through labor, you need a midwife, right? Someone to assist you with your labor. Who assisted Fatima bint Asad? Does anyone know? Four women assisted her. Maryam salam. Asiya, the wife of Pharaoh. The mother of Musa. And Hajar, yes. These four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent them to help and assist in the birth of Imam Ali Now, in what position was Imam Ali born? He was born, the first thing that happened after his birth, he went into sujood. He went into sujood. What did he say? Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. This is according to a hadith. I bear witness there is no God but Allah. Wa anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. So he was speaking as a child. He was speaking as a newborn infant just like Jesus spoke. Mm -hmm. So he said, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. And I bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of God. Then he said, and I bear witness that I am the successor of Muhammad. That's the third phrase that he said. Then he said, And I bear witness that Muhammad is the last messenger of God. And I am Amirul Mu'mineen, the last of the successors. So Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, he said those words as soon as he was born. Now the Imam did sujood. Some ignorance have tried to raise an objection here. They said, okay, Imam Ali when he did sujood in the Kaaba, 
or he was born in the Kaaba, that's not a virtue for him. That's actually a vice. Why? Because if Imam Ali did sujood in the Kaaba, he did sujood to the idols. Because the Kaaba was filled with idols, you had idols on top of the Kaaba. So Imam Ali السلام, he did sujood to those idols and that's not really a virtue. What do you make of this? Seriously. It's amazing how some people sink so low with their intellect to raise such ridiculous objections. First of all, who was the one who opened the Kaaba for the Imam to be born? Allah. Okay? You think Allah who opened the Kaaba for Imam Ali, He's going to let Imam Ali prostrate to the idols and glorify the idols? If you said Imam Ali prostrated to the idols, that means you're insulting God. Because who allowed Imam Ali to go in the Kaaba in the first place? It was God. Allah allowed him to go there. So is Allah going to allow him to worship the idols? No. The Kaaba is the house of God. Who cares if there are idols? He was worshiping Allah. Number two, the Prophet would come to Masjid al-Haram. He would go around the Kaaba when there were idols. Does that mean that the Prophet would worship the idols too? In fact, the Muslims, when they did the Hajj that year, when they made the treaty with the pagans, the idols were still in Mecca. And the Muslims would pray towards the Kaaba, and the idols were there. What does that mean? Did the Prophet and all those Muslims worship the idols? Because when the Prophet conquered Mecca, then they demolished the idols. That was when? Two years before the Prophet passed away. Two years. All that time the idols were there. The Muslims would do their Hajj, they go to the Kaaba, they pray to the Kaaba, and the idols were there. Does that mean that the Prophet, God forbid, and Muslims, they all did shirk and they worshiped the idols? Preposterous. You see, they try to find anything to lower the status of the Imam and to negate his virtues. And this was one crazy attempt to say Imam Ali worshipped the idols. So now, how long did Fatima bint Asad stay in the Kaaba? She stayed in the Kaaba for three days. Three days, she's gone, she's not visible to the public, she's hiding inside the Kaaba. At that time, when she gives birth, Allah sends the news to who? To the Prophet God reveals to the Messenger of God that Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib was born. In one hadith the Prophet says, Allah revealed to me that Ali has been born. And Allah sent the Prophet this message through one of his angels. Ya Habib Allah, O oh the beloved of God, Al-Aliyul-A'la yuqru'uka salam the Most High, Allah, sends His salam to you. And He gives you the good news that your brother Ali is born. And He is telling you that your prophethood is now close. Because now I have created the supporter for you. Your supporter Ali has been born. So get ready, soon I will send you as a messenger. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gives the Prophet this good news. As soon as Imam Ali was born, the Messenger of God, he asked Fatima bint Asad, he told her, look, I have a special status with this boy, I want to raise him. I want to feed him. I want to sleep by his side. I want to take care of him. And we have many, many narrations here. How every night Imam Ali would sleep by the Prophet's bed. The Prophet would put him to sleep. He would push his cradle until Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib would sleep. He would carry the Imam on his chest. Sometimes when the Imam would cry, the Prophet, he would chew the food and then he would take the food once it's soft and he would put it in the mouth of Imam Ali To that extent, yes, the Messenger of God would do that. Sometimes even hadiths tell us the Prophet would stick his tongue into the mouth of Imam Ali and Imam Ali would suck on the Prophet's tongue. Yes, they had a special relationship. Now I know in our culture this is weird, right? 
But back then in that society, the Prophet was sending a powerful message that this boy is from my own self. This boy is from my own self. So we see that the Prophet had a very special relationship with Imam Ali salam. Yes, brother. Yes. Yes. We do have a hadith that says when the Prophet first embraced Imam Ali, he read verses from Surah Al-Mu'minun. Qad aflah al-Mu'minun. The Mu'minun, the believers, have achieved victory. So the Prophet said they will achieve victory through you because you are the leader of the Mu'mineen. Now some have objected. Wait a minute. This was before the revelation of the Quran. How could Imam Ali say that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed that to Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib salam. So there is no issue with that, yes. No, go on. So my, my question was basically about Layla uh, Fatima. When she gave birth to Imam Ali and the Prophet, I did read narrations that say that the three days that she spent in marriage, that people were questioning, people did notice that she did go and there were witnesses. So why didn't anybody come to open the door? There is a door for the There is a door for the Kaaba, yes. However, you know, you had guardians of the Kaaba, they had a lock. But number two, when they realized that the uh, wall of the Kaaba split open and then it closed miraculously, they took that as a sign not to go inside the Kaaba. That was a clear sign for them. It did. Yes, absolutely it did. But, but it was clear it was a miracle. So once they realized this was a miracle, they knew not to intervene and let it just naturally, you know, take its course. Yes. So they could have opened the door of the Kaaba. However, because they recognized it was a miracle, they just left it, you know, to see when she would come out from the Kaaba. So the Prophet had a very special relationship with the Imam alayhi salam. You know, in many of his khutbas, Imam Ali al-Nahj al-Balagha, he says, when I was young, the Prophet would carry me, he would put me to sleep, he would chew the food for me, and he would say, I would follow the Prophet just like a baby calf follows its mother. Wherever he would go, I would go with him. Every day he would teach me new akhlaq, he would teach me new knowledge. And really, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib was raised by the Prophet. For all those years, the one who took care of him was the Messenger of God. The one who educated him, disciplined him, taught him, raised him was the Prophet. And the biggest insult, brothers and sisters, to the Prophet is that when he's raised a boy like that, at the hands of the Prophet, you delay him and you make him number four. That's an insult to the Messenger of God. When those three were worshipping the idols, the Prophet himself was raising Imam Ali. The first student of the Prophet was Imam Ali. The first baby boy who the Prophet raised was Imam Ali. Yet, you make him number four. That's not an insult to Imam Ali really. That's an insult to the Prophet. That, yeah, and to God. That means, Ya Rasulullah, you know what? We have no respect for all your efforts in raising this boy. Because you didn't really do a good job. In the end, there were three who came before Imam Ali. Pagan mothers raised those three and they turned out to be better than the baby that you yourself raised. That's an insult to the Prophet Yes, brother. Wait, so why is this so much hate directed like specifically towards him and his father and his like specifically like his family? Why is it only them? Are Briefly because of jealousy, because he had all the virtues mm -hmm. and they just could not take that. Imam Ali having virtue after virtue after virtue, they did not take that. That was one reason why you see uh, so much hatred. Yes. Okay, so the name of Imam Ali Fatima bint Asad, she does not name Imam Ali. Abu Talib does not name Imam Ali yet. So one hadith tells us Imam Ali when he was born, he did not open his eyes. He kept it close. All that time they were closed. Until Fatima left the Kaaba, she came. When the Prophet saw him, then he opened his eyes. He wanted to see the first thing in his life, the face of the Prophet 
So after the Prophet meets him and sees him, then the Prophet says, I have given the name of Ali to this baby boy. So the name of Ali came from the Prophet and he received that as revelation from God. So Imam Ali was not named by his parents, he was named by who? By the Prophet And that just shows how close they were. Yes brother. Don't they say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the one that named Imam Ali? Yes, Allah is the one who named him. He revealed it to the Prophet. Then the Prophet officially gave him that name. Yes. Yes, that name was given to others before him. Um, because remember, Ali was still an Arabic name. It comes from the meaning that means high. So yes, some others did have that name, but it was still a unique name. It was not like a very common name that was given to boys. Yes. Muhammad also was, uh, you know, not the first name of the Prophet. You had maybe four or five people before the Prophet who were given the name Muhammad. Why? Have you heard that that was the first name? No, I was just curious. I, yes. Because I've heard like other Imams, like Imam Hassan, I think Hassan was, a, was one of the very first names. Uh, uh, yes, sister. So, uh, what I have heard is uh, Abu Talib uh, had named Ali as Zaid and Fatima had given him the name Haider. So, according to these hadiths, they had not given him a name yet. The Prophet makes it public that his name is Ali, he gives him that name. But it was very common in Arabic culture for the mother to give a secret name or a special name, nickname or a title to her child. This was something very common. So yes, she named him Haidar. That's why Imam Ali السلام, when he would go to that battlefield at Khaybar, he said, Sammatni Ummi Haidar. My mother named me Haidar. So, but that was a secret name between him and his mom. And this was common Arabic culture, that your child has an official name, but you also have a special name that you would call him, secretly or privately. As for Abu Talib giving him the name Zaid, I'm not aware of that. Yeah, yeah, we do recognize Haidar as the name of Imam Ali, but the name Zaid being the name of Imam Ali, we would have to research that. I'm not aware of that being one of the names of Imam Ali. And was it that she called him Haidar when um, Imam Ali killed the Yes, because the meaning of Haidar means lion. One of the meanings of Haidar is lion. So when she recognized that bravery, she gave him that name. Now, in the end, one of the things that Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib would do with the Prophet is that when the Prophet would go retreat to the cave of Hira to meditate and worship God, he would often take Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib with him. He would take him with him, he would go to the cave of Hira and he would worship God alongside the Messenger of God. So in all those private moments that the Prophet had in cave of Hira, Usually Imam Ali was to his side. And he would literally carry him everywhere he would go. One hadith says when the Prophet would go to the valley, he'd go up the mountain, he'd go to the market, he would always carry Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib with him. So we see this amazing special status between the Messenger of God and between Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib. And this is before the religion of Islam. They had that special status because the Prophet wanted to prepare the Ummah for this divine leader. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين.